Welcome back, new you maniacs, to the spinner rack here at the Marvel New Universe Comics Podcast, the voice of the new universe. We're your hosts, Andy with Justice Number 16, and Steven with DP7 Number 16. The new universe was launched in 1986 as an imprint from Marvel Comics dedicated to a more grounded and less fantastic approach to comics and world building. The idea was the world outside your window, with real-time progress and more realistic technology, physics, and biology. After the first year, some books were cancelled, although we are seeing their characters in other places, and there have been some changes in direction of the remaining books. With our podcast, you can follow along with us each week as we go through each comic in the order they hit the spinner rack, or just check out individual comics if you already have a favorite. We uh, have a Season 3 Trivia Challenge now available if you want to test your skills and see what you remember from our uh, books we've read so far. That's over at our website, kickersinc.com. And you can also find us over on Twitter, at kickersinc, for uh, promos of upcoming episodes. If Twitter still exists by the time this gets published. (laughs) (laughs) We're not going to one of these fly-by-night secondary companies. (laughs) No, we would never do that. It's too much work. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so this week I'll be talking about Justice. Who is Tenson? He wields the sword and shield of justice as he brings his black and white fight against evil to our morally gray world. Or does he? (laughs) Everything we know is wrong, as we found (laughs) out earlier. So... um, we're not making any strong bets on justice. Yeah, we don't know what. Uh... Yeah, I'm guessing there will still be some form of justice being doled out, and but um, meted yeah. out, yeah. meted out. Yeah, that's what I was. My brain wanted to say that, but it didn't seem right for some reason. Um, yeah, so justice issue number sixteen. Having suffered at the hand of one paranormal, will justice seek justice or vengeance on all paranormals? uh yeah that's a good question written by peter david penciled by lee weeks nice and this week i'll be covering dp7 in the wake of the white event seven random people with paranormal powers found themselves at the clinic now the clinic is theirs but the question becomes can all the paranormals get along this week dp7 number 16 gang war it's the clinic (laughs) Uh, i guess not okay the clinic paranormal sanctuary and the first victim win or lose is DP seven. The reason is this gets a little wordy here. So hang on DP seven scuzz and Charlie are pitting their gangs, the DD teens and black powers against each other to see who's the toughest group in the clinic. Rumble is written by Mark Gruenwald, penciled by Paul Ryan and inked by Danny Bulanati. And we'll also, uh, as we have time, discuss the Universe News, other uh, updates, uh, the DP7 mailbag. And uh, this week also came out Marvel Age number 59, which is a nice um, new universe cover story. The new new universe. Um, We'll try to summarize some of the things we learned in that. But uh, it's a good sort of extra... um, issue of the new universe um unofficially that you should uh have in your collection if you don't already absolutely which i do have it in my collection 
though I'm now always afraid to look at it because of spoilers. Yeah, we're finally getting to the point where it spoil it's been spoiling us, so Ugh. nothing as bad as that, you know, which character will die nonsense. <laughs> totally spoils Mark Hazard, but Yeah, okay. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Thought that was a big fake out at the time, but originally, but yeah, what do you know? They they weren't yeah. kidding. Mm. Maybe Maybe he will come back into the pages of justice as written by Peter David <laughs> or, you know, some other character like Mike Hazard. <laughs> He's really similar. The scars on the other side of the face, maybe. He's a happy go lucky kind of dude. You know, just hates smoking song in his heart all the time. <laughs> hey guys, what's going on? <laughs> oh, but yeah, Justice number 16, uh, cover very purple. Uh, so cover dated February 88, uh, though when it came out, we're still November 10th, 87. And importantly, uh, all of that world building, Winterlands, Justice came from a parallel dimension stuff, apparently was just him being kind of sort of trapped in a dream world. So that was the, the last issue where we learned that it was all made up, sort of. Um, and basically, Tenson was a regular guy, a police officer working undercover, who had kind of gotten his personality all twisted up in this dream world and became justice in our world. And now he's kind of figured that out and he's already taken vengeance on Daedalus, uh, dad, Daddington, the third or whatever his name was from the previous issue. Uh, 14 issues. All they'd give us was dad. And then the very, like two pages before he dies, we get a good, a good, good name for him. I don't even know what to call him now. Who are you, man? I thought I knew you, Dad. Uh, well, you got vaporized, and that sort of ended the dream. So <laughs> but that's that's kind of where we left off. Um, Justice was, yeah, vaporizing fools, but we weren't quite sure where he was going to go next. It was very, like, up in the air as, as 15 ended. Yeah. And, and the cover of 16 is, like, perfect transition for that, too, because while we kind of got a look at the new justice on the cover last issue here he's very much in shadows so we've got a, a semi-familiar trench coat uh, the cover is just you know a big torso of justice but again very shadowed so we can't really see him he's looking like he's powering up his sword his hand that fires these beams uh what's cool is the, the marvel corner box which usually has the art of the characters is just a black silhouette too so like we don't want to give anything away kind of piece uh, which oh, is yeah, fun. Yeah. Didn't notice that at first, but you're right. And uh, unlike those butts over in the Star brand, they kept the nice classic New Universe logo on the top of this one. <laughs> so appreciated by me, at least. <laughs> yeah, it's not a line wide change, apparently. So right, thank at least not yet. All right, so yeah, New Universe uh, cover. Yeah, covered by Lee Weeks in this case. Uh, open up not to the splash page with the art but open up to a city scene um and so this part's a little mysterious is charlene time to come in right now but mom i want to stay out late uh, 
and come in this instant or the boogeyman will get you. So we have a series of panels um, starting with kind of like a white nothing panel with a little bit of a silhouette of something moving on to the next panel, the next panel, and the figure keeps getting a little bit closer. So a little closer, a little closer um, until uh, basically there's a conversation between the kid and the mom, but the mom sort of stops talking and the kid starts panicking. You know, mom, say something. This isn't funny. You know, you know, uh, don't let the boogeyman get me. Uh, and the boogeyman looks an awful lot like the silhouette of justice, uh, you know, down to, you know, the beams coming out of the hand. Uh, but as, as we turn the page here, it turns out it's a dream again, again with the dreams <laughs> and it's a night mask crossover. Like, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's an attractive woman, dark skin, you know, basically wakes up in a jolt in bed. So we get our big splash page, uh, written by Peter David, penciled by Lee Weeks, uh, inked by Tony DeZuniga who's starting to rival Coletta as the inker of the new universe, I think. Um, and she just screams, no. And then the title of the book is Justice, Justice, Pursue It, which I didn't get, but get, that gets explained in the end. Yeah, it's, well, either she's waking up screaming no, and the title is Justice, Justice, Pursue It, or she's waking up screaming Justice, Justice, Pursue It, and the title is no. The title is no. That's fair. <laughs> it's a little uh, ambiguous at this point. Right. And so at this point, I'm like, is this Becky Chambers? The hair is not right, but it does look a little bit like Becky, uh, mm-hmm. who's also an attractive, darker skinned woman. Um, but yeah, as we move on to the next page, you know, the girl wakes up in the empty room, the radio is going, um, and uh, Blur. Right, Jeff from DP7 zips in. So, so this is Charlie from DP7, um, and this literally—I'm not exaggerating. This made me took a second, take a second look at the cover. Like, am I reading the right book? <laughs> right, right. I gotta say, like uh, Jeff uh, does that, like you know, blurring in, but he looks remarkably static in his final pose there, as if he's just like standing and like has been moved in um like a mannequin yeah it is very static and they kind of they've added some speed lines to him but it's not i guess the it it hasn't been like months of figuring out how to draw blur well like uh paul ryan has right Um, but yeah this is unexpected crossover really Uh, not on the cover at all yeah we were not warned and you're right she you know, she fits the description of Becky Chambers uh, in a lot of ways. So, yeah, that would be. Uh, is everyone waking up now in, in like their own bed? Like, oh. Yeah. And, and between dream. different artists, and I've always kind of said this is, you know, like you can't really tell who's who unless except for hair and costumes. And like so women waking up in bed. <laughs> you know, it, it's tough to say, but especially. uh since this is justice and not dp7 um but yeah so charlie had this dream about the boogeyman uh it's night mask in here causing some influence like why is she dreaming about justice um and uh you know blur uh jeff sort of you know oh you're a smart girl what could have put such things in your mind uh maybe the clock radio that's blaring um so 
as a little diversion from learning things on the TV. Here we're learning things from the radio. Um, it says, uh, Chicago resident Lonnie Poole was the third victim in a bizarre series of slayings. Police are calling the justice killings. <laughs> Who would have came up with that? An anonymous policeman said, someone or something's working its way across the country, and I don't think anybody's safe. <laughs> way to cause panic, officer. <laughs> I don't want to alarm anyone, but there's a random killer that we can't stop. He's across the country. Could be anywhere by this point. <laughs> anyway, good night, folks. Uh, you know. Yeah, who's the guy after like in the 2000s like recommending that you go out to the stores and buy like tape and plastic sheeting for to prevent to defend against chemical attacks? <laughs> it's like <laughs> think about what you're saying here, people. Um, the radio continues says the Chicago slaying is identical to that three to uh, that three weeks ago in California and Garden City, Kansas last week. So three different justice slayings. Victims' bodies were incinerated except for the head and hands. Gross. Um, and in two of the instances, in the ashes has been traced a set of scales. <laughs> So we see that as they discuss it, basically a pile of ashes, but it's it's in the outline of a body, and then where the hands should be, there are hands. Blah. Okay. <laughs> uh, no blood. Um, but yeah, so that essentially transitions us to to the crime scene. Um, so a whole bunch of police. Uh, I jotted down their names, but I'm not sure any of them are going to end up recurring characters. Uh, well, at least I'll, in this initial group, but I, I'd say like at least one of them there. Did you recognize her? Uh, no. Claire Burnett from Mark Hazard Merck number four or five. Oh, nice. That's a good catch. <laughs> yeah, I was in his his um, Peter David's thing in Marvel Age 59. Uh, okay. Otherwise, yeah, I didn't I was... read it. I would have like blown it completely. I'm, you know, yeah, I, I think it's, um, she was a New York cop. And so it's a little weird. She's in pit in Chicago anyway. Right. But, um, yeah, I, David says like, oh yeah, I'll bring back some characters from Merck, uh, like Claire Burnett. Oh, okay. I really want to see treetop and mall, but we'll see. <laughs> you know it's, it's a start okay i'll take claire burnett <laughs> she uh so there's a police captain nesmith yeah and then a couple of like jokesters i don't know stakinski and whatnot <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah so he's talking they they start looking for the head <laughs> where's the head guys See, like they're, they're they're like the word balloons are are kind of talking above them and then there's like dialogue from the guy that's way at the bottom of the page and then like the response to that is way back up at the top so it's kind of it took me a minute to like kind of follow this little joke that they're making about looking for the head for the guy and stuff yeah you know what i mean yeah one guy's like looking at the uh, smoke detector and one guy's checking under the couch cushions and i says hey captain nesmith behind this potted plant like, yeah that's the head all right brunette you ever seen anything like this in new york muggers mercenaries yeah nice that makes sense now decapitations uh -uh. and one of the patrolmen like goes 
gets sick, like he's gonna vomit, like and go and goes running for it. Uh, the seasoned detectives like wonder what's with him. It's like maybe he found a decapitated head behind a potted plant. <laughs> um, but then uh, a, a small silhouette shows up in the door in the background, and the police officer or the or another police officer says, "Hey, Captain, look who's here!" And he says, "Playback, good to see you." So we are officially in the code name era, I believe. Everybody be using code names now. Ah, yes, it's uh, the new new universe. Code names, costumes, we got them all. Yeah, mm. uh, world outside somebody's window. Um, but yeah, so Burnett's saying, "Excuse me, but weren't you in?" And she interrupts the the small woman interrupts, saying, "Poltergeist? No, I'm Miriam Morse, or Playback, as Tony calls me. Here, give me a sec to get ready." Um, now, I didn't remember the reference, but I did look it up. I haven't seen any of the Poltergeist movies in a zillion years. Uh, uh, yeah, the first one, Rubenstein. Yeah, Zelda Rubenstein. Like the first Poltergeist movie was eighty-two. The second was eighty-six, and the third was eighty-eight. So this would have been after the second one came out. And uh, I guess she was a recurring character, uh, four foot three. Character's name was like Tangina, something like that. I don't honestly don't remember, but I it's like this character is uh, Miriam Morse. So there's nothing about odd about her name, but she's colored. I don't know what exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's just kind of like darker skinned, like Hispanic, if I had to guess. Dark hair, uh, dark skin, maybe not quite as dark as Charlie um i'm thinking now like is, is did her name show up in one of those newspaper clippings from a couple issues ago uh there was like some paranormal kind of stuff or questions about that that, that might be one to go back and, and peep at you know i was kind of thinking reminded more of linda hunt who is like a very short woman who's sort of uh she she played asian and western characters at different times i'm not quite sure what her background is but she's uh she's very like uh small sized i believe and okay uh, well zelda has is an alum of university of pittsburgh oh nice and, okay uh, well there you go screw uh, you linda was like a lab tech had a bacteriology degree and uh got bored of it and started Hard to think of acting so <laughs> nice okay very cool. So now you appreciate Zelda, I said. Absolutely. I'm tired <laughs> of you bad math and Zelda Rubenstein, man. <laughs> but yeah, so you know, they're they're all at this crime scene uh with the partially vaporized man. Um, and Burnett's like, okay, what's with this Miriam Morris? Uh he says, Don't laugh, but she's psychic. Uh Cyphorus, anyone? Uh two years ago she helped me track down Jimmy Fearson. And what do you think his crime might be? <laughs> In new universe fashion, a child molester. All right. What's with all these child molesters? <laughs> uh, so she helps out. She doesn't take money, but she makes a mint on the college circuit lecturing. She's like, what is she doing? And I look, I'm not sure what she's holding here. Maybe like an ashtray or something. I think a lot of like this kind of uh, psychic thing, they use a, a object that was in the room and kind of lock in on it and use it to kind of go backwards ah. um but i yeah i didn't quite notice whether it was in the room beforehand 
Yeah, so um it's she's got VCR powers, right? So we see her on the next rewind. Page. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. We see her on the next page, uh like holding on to this ashtray, I'll call it. Uh and all of a sudden everybody starts talking backwards, like Zatanna magic powers kind of stuff. Um and like the whole background scene around here starts to kind of zipping around. So so visually everything kind of blurs up uh, and until she kind of arrives at the time period she wants. So she can kind of rewind her mind into what happened in the past. And I don't know if I'm describing this well, um, but then visually what we see is basically like her standing in the room and then all the other people are kind of like ghosts. Right. Uh, and so she can rewind and then kind of play it back. And so she eventually sort of finds the right spot where you know a guy like the victim is kind of like letting his mistress out i think as best i could tell um you know she's she's or miriam's thinking to herself well he's kind of scuzzy but scuzzy eh, scuzzy enough to deserve what he got hmm, i'll speed search forward just before that flash right so in, when she was rewinding there was some kind of bright flash um, so she basically rewinds to the point where the guy's hang, hanging out in the, or fast forward to the point where the guy's just hanging out reading the door gets kicked in um, a kind of ghostly silhouette of someone who's definitely justice says Lonnie Poole you have abused your power <laughs> the guy gets up he's like no just slow down tick, slow down text take it easy relax so right, way to be annoying to the guy who's maybe going to kill you <laughs> And yeah. Justice in the dream says, your power is useless against me, Pool. Women, however, they are defenseless. They do whatever you ask. And not only have you ruthlessly used this power to your li licentious advantage, oh, vocab check, uh, but you have knowingly transmitted a heinous disease to your partners. Oh, come on, Lonnie. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, the mystery disease of the 1980s that dare not speak its name. <laughs> So, yeah, he was kind of a dirt ball because he was like not remembering the girl's name, but he is like a mind controlling ball. them and giving them AIDS. Good job, Lonnie. <laughs> oh. Do you have any sympathy for this character? Well, he's meeting justice, so let's hope not. Let me erase the sympathy. <laughs> so the guy's just kind of taken back. It's like your actions cry out for justice. Justice. <laughs> so we get a nice vaporizing hand and uh basically cooks the guy all but his hand and we see him kind of like drawing this drawing the scales of justice in the ashes and as he's kind of standing there up to this point everything's pretty normal to play back i think and like like okay here's a killer kind of yeah a... although paranormal but yeah, and as Justice is kind of there, you know, kind of looking at or wiping the ash off his fingers, not really sure. There's like a steaming pile of of creep in the middle of the floor, and he kind of turns, says, "Hmm." Says, "So, an audience who thought I couldn't see her, foolish woman. Justice isn't blind, so he's <laughs> able to see playback. Uh, Miriam, and like." who's supposed to be just watching him and that freaks her out so she's like ah drops the psychic anchor ashtray and kind of snaps out of it back to you know the the present as far as things go um 
so yeah she's back on the crime scene she's like you okay what did you see and she's like uh you look ashen she's like not ashen no and she just runs out of the room i was like nothing i didn't see anything anything uh so no no help to this police case i guess Hmm. it's like well i guess we'll have to rely on good old-fashioned work for this one (laughs) it's a good thing about being psychic is if you you know if you're threatened to not tell them something then you you can just act like you didn't see anything you know what are they gonna do (laughs) so yeah justice victim lonnie Poole controls women has aids (laughs) yikes uh we cut back to the clinic so we're not done with dp7 yet uh and it's basically charlie and jeff um detectives now at this point for some reason um she's like she remembered lonnie he came to the clinic um and he said he had headaches you know he was paranormal he could make women do whatever he wanted and jeff's like how did you remember him after all this time she's like none of your beeswax so oh oh, oh." (laughs) suggestive um and she's like he charmed his way out and vanished you know hey can you go get the files on you know jeff does this blur thing and he's he's back with the files before she uh even finishes her sentence um and so she's got information on the first two murderers which i guess the clinic also had i mean they've been rounding up information on paranormal so i guess that kind of makes sense uh this guy must have escaped the clinic's grasp before you know they were really when it was still hackbarth and all, all the goons causing the problems hmm. but uh you know we cut to soon um, and charlie's calling somebody uh detective o'donnell uh she's trying to like sweet talk him with a southern accent and all that she's trying to get more information about the uh victim and this case we learn more about i guess what we would call the first chronological victim uh, which is greg gardner not to be confused with guy gardner the dc character um very normal haircut on greg so. <laughs> so as uh as the detective kind of describes the scene uh he says you know we tried to keep a lid on the weirder aspects of this justice killer but they have an eyewitness account from little girl um so it's basically this guy walking down into the basement uh, with a gas can and a little girl kind of like huddled in the corner with a doll you know and you know just hoping hoping that he won't be fine found but before this guy can light the place on fire Justice breaks in, says, Greg Gardner, you are an arsonist and you will burn for your crimes. So, well, we already know this guy's dead, but we could have predicted it anyway, given Justice's track record, I suppose. And he's like, what are you, a cop? Well, guess what, cop? The gasoline's just for insurance. The flames come from me. (laughs) Uh, But it gets blocked. (laughs) So uh, he was all cocky, but Justice still has his shield power blocked. The guy shoots like a flame beam out of his hands, actually a lot like Justice's attack. And he's like, uh, okay, look, let's deal. I'll tell you who hired me to torch this place. Um, Justice is, your employers are, are of no interest to me. Uh, so he tries the, the uh, tries to save himself by like tossing the gas can basically at the kid, you know, one move and I'll blow this place up. Justice kind of takes a little glance over at the kid. He's like, indeed, he basically doesn't care. He's 
uh, a throwback to uh, Mark Hazard at the baseball game. It's like he can't he can't use hostages to uh, save the day in this case. Uh, so they both fire at each other. Uh, interestingly, the Greg guy gets hit by the beam, loses his hand, uh, but otherwise is kind of okay, except all of the clothing and hair is kind of burnt off of him. So so his his fireproof ability gives him some resistance to Justice's sword is kind of the best I can figure here. Maybe? I the thought action... like he had like a shield that reflected the fire back at him, but... He is using oh, a sword hand, I yeah. think. Right. And the shield reflection would make more sense because he's like, I'm fireproof, you can't hurt me, or you uh, or he's oh yeah, fireproof you may be, but justice proof, I think not. So um the guy takes the last minute attempt to kind of torch the girl and light the gas on fire. He is really trying to kill a little girl. It's just like yeah, well, this is not trying to molest her, then kill her. I don't know. Give her AIDS. Jeez. <laughs> guys are really some scummy dudes. <laughs> um, yeah, so Justice blocks that shot. He's like, you'd only be making it harder on yourself if you weren't already uh, sentenced to death. Um, and yeah, Justice vaporizes the guy one last shot. Um, and yeah, so we learned this is kind of the first guy he kills, at least in this this uh, sequence of justice killings uh, because he sort of accidentally leaves the hand behind. He's like, Oh, I missed a spot. Hmm. On second, on second thought, let it remain. So they'll all know what can happen to them. So yeah, I guess he's leaving these body parts so you can identify that there's a victim. Otherwise, if he's just vaporizing everybody, you know, it's just a bunch of disappearances. Right. Um, and then there's kind of a fun scene at the end where the little girl's like, please don't hurt me, mister. And Justice is like, hurt you, child. You're an, inno- you're an innocent. Although, mm, yes, your aura indicates a possibility of paranormal powers to come. But don't worry. You've nothing to warrant a sentence from Justice. Yet. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> so he's uh, definitely a darker character than we've even had before really where you know he's always been pretty uh heavy and relentless against those he's stalking but you know any kind of lightness in his personality or like here let me help you kind of girl kind of stuff is seems to be a, a bit missing now <laughs> mm. Oof. um so yeah they sort of wrap up the conversation uh with uh, Charlie and the detective and that they were kind of telling the story, but we got to see it. So, you know, lesson to ye previous comics that weren't showing us the action. Like there's a nice way to do it. Yes. Show us the cool parts like guys getting vaporized or terrorists shooting at somebody, you know, the visual medium. Right. <laughs> so the detective says that the little girl said he looked like an angel or the devil. She couldn't make, make up her mind which is a good sort of description of Tenson, i guess yeah he's like has this um that's the vibe yeah he's old he saved Tenson my Tenson. life and i'm grateful but he's a little terrifying <laughs> right that's, that's the vibe yeah. so from there we cut to uh playback right our small woman who can psychically rewind the world around her and, and look to what happened before and she's basically all kind of freaked out about what happened. So she's up in her apartment 
Yes, he looked straight at me. He talked to me. How? Uh, I got a clear impression of his face. And, you know, she could describe him, but she's afraid to, essentially. Uh, she looks out her window and sees someone in, like, a hat and a trench coat, which is basically, like, the, the guy from the criminal watch thing. Like, so cl- classic Mc, crim- criminal look. What's that? McGruff? I'm, think- I'm thinking, like, the neighborhood watch like mm. stickers or whatever they always show like the yeah. the shady criminal with the i'm not describing it well um but this basically freaks her out so she runs to the phone um and not sure who she's calling but presumably the police but you know, she's like there's a man he's watching me she looks back and he's gone you know, send someone over no don't bother nothing could stop him so she thinks it's justice who's kind of looking for her now stalking her um she kind of collapsed against the wall um you know we we cut back to detective charlie uh from dp7 again um uh meeting with another guy i don't know why all these people i I think the clinic has kind of given her clout like hey we're from the clinic paranormals you know you got to talk to us and tell us about these things um uh, but she's been very good at getting information for all these guys. So we get uh, like a psychiatrist uh, who is in Wisconsin. They're actually with her, not over the phone. Uh, she's like, I'm just out here to visit my buddy. Now you're pumping me for information. Uh, the the like, guy he's visiting, I don't remember as a character. So it's I don't of... either. Okay. Mm. But whatever. Yeah, he says, just coincidence, Malcolm Stokes, the second victim of the justice killer, was my patient. And I think you've got a national inquirer mentality, if you excuse me. She's like, no. Um, basically, she's, she's not taking no for an answer, sticks him down to the chair with her power. And she's, you know, uh, you know, I'm a paranormal. We research paranormals. Lonnie Poole was another. So was Greg Gardner. We're talking about life and death of paranormals. Is that important enough for you? um that gets him that gets him talking essentially um so yeah the, the next guy uh is chronologically the second victim malcolm stokes and he has the ability to change his appearance which is sort of interesting um so for whatever reason he's talking to the psychiatrist and spills that you know you know things are looking up for him because you know you know I've making making a mint in banking, he says. And the doctor's like, what, investments? He's like, no, robbing. I'm uncatchable. Months ago, I got this power to change my facial appearance just by thought. He changes to like Ronald Reagan, maybe, in the middle there. Uh, unrecognizable black man with ears too low on, the, on his head. <laughs> yeah, if that's someone specific, I don't know it. But, yeah. I would guess that it is, but I, I couldn't figure it out. Um but yeah, so we're getting a recap of this victim who's basically, uh, you know, shows off his power, tells his doctor he's been robbing banks. So I guess he's just overconfident and then hightails it out the door. But, you know, as the psychiatrist is telling the story, he says, you know, I went to follow him out to try and get him to come back. And then I saw a huge flash, a blast blew me back. You know, I staggered back out to look. And guess what? A pile of ashes hand and head <laughs> so we didn't get to see justice here we just got to see pure vaporization i guess yeah i like the the doctor's uh clothes 
I, I think I'll leave now. And Miss Beck, if you think that whoever killed Malcolm has reason to come after you, then God help you. Yeah, really. <laughs> what are you going to do? Stick him to the ground? <laughs> it's not going to work out but, too well. Yeah. I always love that people's uh, mental image of justice is terrifying to them. It's probably the, the correct mental image, I guess, especially with our newer, angrier justice that we seem to have now. Will he take it out on all paranormals? I don't know. <laughs> we don't know. Next, we cut to back to Chicago. Uh, so no more dream rememberings of brutal slayings. Um, and we've got our poor uh, playback, uh, Miriam, uh, packing a suitcase. She's thinking, when I was a child and all the kids kept growing and I didn't, when I was a teenager and could never get a date, when I grew to adulthood and people would see me in the street and look away so they wouldn't stare, I never felt as alone as I do now. There's no way out. If I call Tony for police protection, he'll want to know what I'm afraid of. If I tell what I know, the killer will come after me for a vengeance. And even protection would be no guarantee against something with that much power. <laughs> I do love how intimidating justice is. Like they're doing, David's doing a good job. Peter David, the writer, is doing a good job of selling that. Um, so fitting with poor Miriam, she's got this tiny little red hatchback. So she's she goes down the elevator into like a parking complex, which is where bad things never happen. You know, no Highlander sword fights or uh, that's getting uh, run over safe by cars. Can be in the uh, parking garage of doom. Yeah, <laughs> so she's packing, she's putting her suitcase in the back of her car. Uh, when the shadowy silhouette of trench coat and hat uh, comes up behind her and, and a man, pretty clearly not justice, kind of grabs her from behind in a headlock and says, remember me? He throws her against the wall. It's like, it's been ages. <laughs> it's like, you, Jimmy Fearson? What? The child molester? <laughs> Jimmy Fearson? That you helped put away is like, yeah, you do remember me because I sure remember you. You led the cops right to me. <laughs> uh, so, God, this guy, this, this man, <laughs> I don't know if he's scummier than the uh, brain controlling women AIDS guy, but he's pretty close. <laughs> says, I, I got sent up for 18 months on that child molesting rap, a bum deal all the way. 18 months, that's it. <laughs> uh she's he grabs her by the back of the coach she's like let me go um and this is the line that stood out to me the most reading this book it's like but while i was in jail i learned a few more things than child molesting <laughs> i don't even want to think about that <laughs> and i can't wait to show it all to you like, oh jeez <laughs> can we just comics code authority yeah there it is okay <laughs> this guy can't yeah. be vaporized fast enough <laughs> uh, so he's like yeah he's been following you waiting for the opportunity I served my time but your sentence is he's, he must have been working on his one-liners in prison uh, <laughs> I served my time but you little friend your sentence is just starting uh, they taught me a lot about monologuing and uh, how to give a uh, quick uh, elevator pitch for my plans for my career has taken off. I don't know. Mm. I got came to thank you for your guidance with me. We've been getting like increasingly less uh, screen time for like these villains facing off against uh, Tenson, but uh, you know we get a quick like, "Hey, you in the shadows, who's there? Who are you?" 
and we get off panel ask your little friend and then just the beam of the sword just wiping this guy away from uh, uh miriam uh just kind of barely even leaving behind ash it's just a little smoking pile <laughs> it's tony montana <laughs> say hello to my little friend your Never little mind. friend it kind of okay. works yeah. <laughs> uh so he, he so justice starts monologuing a bit. It's like nothing for identification. I don't want him to be confused with the others to have my message lost. And so he's standing by by the steaming pile and you know helps Miriam up. Uh, his his remains will be scattered on white walls and steel belted radials, and snow tires and studded tires and <laughs> all the kinds of tires. He doesn't say the other parts, but. It's like, has, have no fear. It's like, you're kidding, right? It's like, no, I won't hurt you, even though you know what I look like. You must use your powers in the proper way, as must all paranormals, as must I. If using your powers in the proper way means cooperating with police to thwart my efforts, then that is the way it must be. So I, here's our new MO of justice, I guess. So a little mix of justice and vengeance, perhaps. Um, and so yes. she... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Well, yeah, he's setting himself as the judge of paranormals. Right. So he's a, he accepts that he's a paranormal, and he's going to be the guardrail uh, uh, of all the others that like they won't abuse their powers or you know abuse people around them, whatever. So. And yeah. So he's like, yeah, use your powers in the proper way, and she says, and who decides what is the proper way? I do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, back to DP7. A few more kind of interesting tidbits at the end of the book here. We're on our last two pages. Um, and so we get back to uh, Jeff. He's like, so Charlie says, what we've got on our hands is a paranormal killer. And we've got uh, Randy, two antibodies, and Dave Landers sitting at the table at the clinic having this discussion. And, sh- and Dave's like, you mean someone killing paranormals or a paranormal who's a killer? He's like, as near as we can tell, both. <laughs> and you know, we go back to my favorite exposition, the TV. Um, so, so the news... News Channel 8 says the manhunt intensifies for the so-called justice killer. Police have released the sketch of the man believed responsible for the series of murders. The drawing has been provided by inside sources. Uh, Released this sketch and promised for a nationwide search. And then we get a couple clips of people. Uh, There's a a guy, um, looks a little J. Jonah Jameson-ish, holding a newspaper. He's like, Tenson? And then we get a, a woman in bed. Uh, it's like, Daddy? Daddy? <laughs> what? Okay. Does Tenson have a kid? Um, is the guy maybe his old police boss? I didn't go back That's to That's what look. I was thinking. The um, page that was like way far back in uh, the last issue where he's uh, being assigned to the case of Dad and Damon Conquest. That guy could be he's he's got a cigar or something and yeah like graying so i think he may have actually blown an accidental smoke ring in the art there on the current comic <laughs> yeah so uh most likely um i could only wish that was sarah from issue like six in the second panel like yeah like that was like a 
dream of his daughter who who didn't really die or something like that. Mm, that would have been cool. I, 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 I was throw that out when there. she went out. Come um, on, Jeff Fisherwood. Come on, <laughs> get yourself out of that box you wrote your us into. Yeah. That depressing box. <laughs> I guess no deaths are permanent in comics. Um, so yeah, we get Justin's looking at the papers like not a flattering likeness at all. Oh well, to work. He tosses it in the bin, and then we get a full page of what he looks like now. Um, purple, <laughs> uh, purple tights, superhero boots, superhero belt, lightning bolt on the chest that looks kind of like Black Adam and Shazam. Uh, purple trench coat, gray gloves. You know, it, it's got a, actually some Magneto vibes, maybe with the white hair. Mm, okay, yeah, purple and gray looks good together. I, I mean, you know, it's a bit yeah. like you could. Uh, I don't know. I mean, he's just like walking down a city street here, and it's a bit over the top for like blending into a crowd which right if you're not in a nightclub or something he's in the middle of the day um but yeah he gives us some last exposition is like moses led his people to the promised land but was not able to enter with them he gave them a long speech which they entered a long speech before they entered which is the book of deuteronomy in the 16th chapter 20th verse of that book he says to his people justice justice pursue it Moses is long gone, but now I'm here to try and bring the promised land back to the people. And I am justice. <laughs> Although it's not yeah. in the, it's not in the, uh, like font of the title of the, uh, yeah, that's a missed opportunity there, but very nice. Very nice. Let me follow up on that. Cause, uh, I looked that up and, um, it's uh, in the King James Version, that which is altogether just shalt thou follow, that thou mayest live and inherit the land which the Lord thy God has given thee. It uh, varies a lot in uh, mm. translations. And uh, so here's a New American Standard Bible, which is reputed to be very close to the original. Justice and only justice you shall pr- pursue. Hmm. So that's a lot closer to it. I um, where the line, there the simplified shorter line in the comic came from. Then it's like, see, I'm yeah. guessing it was more like a. Um, it, uh, I've got one that's like complete Jewish Bible. Justice, only justice you must pursue. Yeah. Like the the closer you get to the original uh hebrew young's literal translation righteousness righteousness thou dost pursue yeah that's pretty close so you get the closer to the original hebrew so i mean peter david i think is jewish so he's probably think of this as from from hebrew yeah okay um it's a uh once you get it sort of explained to you it's a good like uh punchy uh, phrase i gotta admit yeah hmm. yeah that's that's the end of the book besides the uh word unscramble chips ahoy uh back page which i always enjoy um, but yeah I, I guess we got our new direction we do we do i was pretty concerned after 15 um it was well written but it was like 
the guy wakes up and is like, who am I? And I thought we'd spend at least an issue on like soul searching or like thinking over things or hmm, who am I? You know? Yeah. <laughs> Where nope. do I come from? Do I have a kid? Do I? Um, Justice has just thrown himself into his work. You know, it's, I guess we've seen him do that before, but uh, yeah, I, when things get tough. What are you going to do? All right, go find some fools to vaporize. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so we've got sort of a direction. And I would say that it's pretty um, recognizable justice from what we've had before. You know, you that sort of people are scared to death of him around him that we, you know, was great in issue nine and a couple other things. Um you know, looking at justice from the outside is always like super intimidating. They always, yeah, know, I always enjoy that. I don't know. Yeah, I think it, like in the first issue, I remember like thinking of like called, I think you said Death Wish, and I was thinking like the Terminator, you know, because you had that fish out of water kind of stranger in a new city kind of thing. But otherwise, like he's just all right, fine, bad guy, aura checks out, you get killed. Right, like not messing around, not chatting, no one-liners, just. Bzzzt. <laughs> so we've actually kind of come back to that quite a bit. He's, he's got more of a, a thoughtful plan, and he's of this earth now. But yeah, we didn't get a lot of internal monologue dialogue from um, that we might have seen in in other things where it's more written from Justice's point of view. But this is kind of good to kind of if you're going to reset you know where it's going to kind of come at it from an external point of view where you're just sort of seeing what justice is doing and having to kind of figure out has he gone nuts is he just killing all paranormals now is you know what's going on so you yeah. had a good sense of that and i mean it's reasonable he's got uh the powers to keep people in line and we we see in some of the other books that like uh, we don't have a lot of like um, paranormal crime that we've, you know, dealt with from other books, but you can easily imagine that people are out there taking advantage of these powers and yeah, someone like, you know, you're, you're not going to throw Lonnie Poole in a courtroom and have a fair trial for him. For... So yeah. there you go. So could Greg Gardner with his pyro abilities could have been working on solving the energy crisis or something instead? You know, it's like... pyro is a pretty flashy power. Yeah, I don't know. He couldn't have. He might as well have grabbed a costume and gone out there as like I am the fireator. <laughs> and really, like he doesn't even need his power to be an arsonist. Really, like especially if he's using gas cans and stuff. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny he he like brought the gas along to like just um to make it look more normal or something. It's like yeah. I don't know. Um I do yeah. So overall for me, um I'd say like A minus. Yeah. I'm pretty happy with this uh David's writing is really solid. Um that sort of cameo from Claire Burnett is a good a uh, reminder of how um, how well he handled those first few issues of Merc. Um, 
And he's kind of doing something, you know, tough guy, internal monologue, intimidating people around him. Perhaps um, it's not a hundred percent different. Um, yeah. Those so. are all things that I enjoy that we, and I enjoy. <laughs> kill count. What? Four. Four. I yeah. I, yeah. I think we should revitalize the kill count and then, but keep it as a rolling number. Right. Mm. So like how many dudes total? You get to the end of the new universe and how many has justice killed? Is it in, uh, three figures, four figures. I would be question. impressed. I would be surprised, uh, but definitely impressed if it makes it into three figures. I think I'm because I'm thinking the formula is going to be like you know tracking down and showing down or having fights against paranormals a little bit more than just showing up and wasting everybody in a second. But but I don't know. Uh, but yeah, this one took a while to grow on me, honestly. Um, from first to second to kind of reading it through on the podcast. I've, I've been appreciating it more as I go. Um, I do miss more of Tenson, right? Like, you know, just because it was so much fun uh, to have that internal monologue to kind of know what is going on, even if it's pretty simple, like, you know, you don't, this guy doesn't stand a chance or, you know, I will meet out justice and such. Uh, so I'm gonna go B plus though. I'm I'm happy that I wasn't put out. You know, like he didn't. It didn't turn into a wacky superhero. I was a little worried in the previous issue that like his old personality would kind of come back. Like he seemed more like a jokey, happy-go-lucky kind of detective. Yes, a little that's bit. The, that's the thing. He, you know, when we we see memories of this before time johnny tenson yeah he's just like this jokey cop character yeah and okay but yeah he snaps out of it with night mask and is like oh who am i he answered that with (laughs) yeah I guess and it's, just... it's definitely a retcon like this wasn't the original vision of the character but it is a really well crafted one right like mm. because it still keeps the same character you know it's not it was all a dream it was you know you know some of it was sort of dream hallucination of a personality kind of thing so like he still felt all those things so everything he knew was a lie you know he had to kill the love of his life uh, and his other love, the pr- queen, was probably fictional, right? So, like, everything is dead, you know. So, you're going to get this angry, darker than usual kind of guy who's just out to uh, out to get revenge, but he's still justice. So, he's, you know, looking to do that in a way where he's just killing the bad guys. So, that's what he does best. So, I, did I rate it? Yeah, I, I guess I'd be plus. Yeah. All right. Yeah, the, uh, let's see, unannounced DP7 crossover is also nice. Yeah, I didn't serve, it mostly served like a narrative purpose, but. Yeah, it's partly like, I almost admire this story for sort of how well it's constructed in terms of sort of back and forth and takes several smaller stories and sticks them in and they build. And even though it's not like you, you know, it's not a great fake out that like she's being stalked and uh, maybe it's justice that's come to kill her. 
Um, I mean, it's pretty reasonable to like, oh, this, you know, person she put away before has come back. And so now this things add up nicely, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Should we lay odds on whether she sticks around in order to help him determine, you know, who is the paranormal who's caused this uh, crime that needs to be uh, brought to justice? It's uh, notice that his aura or reading is now telling whether people are paranormals or can become paranormals, which is a little bit more of a a new aspect. Um, Maybe it's... It's a good question. I can only hope Claire is going to be around for a while because why bring her up and then not do anything with it? So, right. I don't know. Um, yeah, if playback becomes a, a, a major character, I'll be curiously surprised, amused. Good work. Why not? I have no clue though. Uh, let's see let us take a break and then we'll be back with some dp7 Welcome back. We are going to head right into DP7 number 16, which again is cover dated February 1988, came out, we believe, November 10th, 1987, and uh, follows up pretty closely from the previous issue, which was um, describing various um, groups being formed uh, surreptitiously at the clinic, uh, various um groups that we'd started with like dp7 and there's another therapy group that they played volleyball with in a dream episode um seven or eight maybe um we are now getting um sort of interest groups forming their own cliques and the breakdown in social order uh amongst the clinic residents um which is interesting Last issue, we focused on Lenore, but um, she is off stage this time, and uh, we're on to some of the other developments. So the cover has a is pretty grabby. Um, it has a uh, reprise of the original issue one, I guess, even with the black border, new universe logo. And uh, the DP7 with all the uh, paranormals on in like a police lineup. But this time, that's like a poster that people are busting through, led by Scuzz with a shirt labeled Scorcher. And several of the other young people uh, at the clinic are following him through the uh, hole in the uh, poster, we'll call it. Um, and then the uh, logo DP7 has been sprayed over dd teens i just want to say this is another like it seems like gruenwald has a a flair for naming uh things in this manner so es people dd teens you know we black powers doesn't fall into that so i don't know what to tell you no they needed to be like the bp8 or something i don't know 
Yeah, I. Uh, <laughs> you can uh, send us a your own uh, alternative uh, names for the beat Black Powers and uh, at our uh, email, and we'll have a uh, winner announced at some point. Anyway, jumping inside, we have a nice splash page, DP7, and the title of the story, Rumble. And the creative team, again, is Mark Gruenwald and Paul Ryan, co-creators Danny Bulanati, inker. And the uh, splash page is uh, Scuzz, a.k.a. the Scorcher, in his, like, I'm totally on fire mode. Um, he doesn't yet seem to have any clothes left. And uh, there's fireballs all over the place that he seems to be uh, throwing at a uh, sort of a wrecked car or something that's lying there. And there's a narration box, the field behind the clinic for paranormal research in southwestern Wisconsin. So the next page we have Scuzz announcing, and that kids and cadets is why I'm going to be leader of our paranormal gang. Yeah, that was really radical. Yeah, wowee. The other kids are pretty uh, easily impressed. We see uh, Evan Hubner. Yeah. And the uh, kid who was um, connected to the Shadow Man last issue. And uh, the antibody, the rogue antibody, the killer antibody. Hmm. Um, and we see... It takes a second, but it's Michael Crawley from uh, Cyforce. Um, we see several other kids. There is a woman, or well, a, uh, uh, an older girl, let's call her, that we saw in the classroom um, parts of last issue, and now there is a uh, another boy, teenage boy, and a sort of a younger girl who's blonde, who's. Uh, Low 10, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. Annie, Heather, and Joel. Annie, Heather, and Joel. Correct. They get introduced later, but... Yeah, you pick it up as you go along uh, in um, advanced fashion. No one is yet uh, come up with code names for all of them, but um, the first thing they demonstrate is Joel's power as he... Th he sort of makes fun of uh, Scuzz and throws some of his own spitballs at him. And what they do when they land on him is neutralize his power. Or as he said, Scuzz says, your stupid mothballs drained all my scorching energy. Uh, this leaves Scuzz standing there naked, uh, which Joel points out, and everyone has a good laugh. Except for Annie, who curiously says, I've seen better. <laughs> She's not old enough to drive, so I'm a little concerned what's going on here at the clinic. But moving along, we have Scuzz is mad and tells Crowley to give him his trousers and uh, threatens that he won't let him join his gang if they don't. Uh, Crowley uh, says, okay. So he takes off his pants and hands them to Scuzz. And he thinks to himself, I've just got to get accepted into this group. I've been so lonely since I left Cyforce. Asterisk in Cyforce Annual Number One. Even if it cost me a pair of pants. So now Crawley's standing around his tidy whities um, and uh, Scuzz strolls over to Joel, as he called himself, um, who is laughing at him, but uh, Scuzz is about ready to punch him out because 
I would say Scuzz is like just mano a mano uh, uh, could take this kid down pretty quickly, you know, with no right. powers. So if your only power is to neutralize people, you better not be like weaker than that person. Otherwise, you'll still get beat. Um, but Joel, uh, Scuzz thinks better of it because he's still trying to recruit all these people, all the under 20s, as he says, into his team. And he can't afford to let this guy get away. So he lets him off the hook this time, but he's like, okay, everyone else, let's see what your powers are. So Crawley, he's up next, and uh, of course he takes his uh, exploding power on the uh, the wreck, and it blows up pretty well. People are impressed. Scuzz is like, the kid may be as deadly as I am. <laughs> I Which is like deadly. his way of kind of mitigating the fact that he's definitely way deadlier than you are. <laughs> Because you started off with a slightly acidic grip. I'm not sure that like blowing up is even uh, close to it. So uh, we uh, then see the young girl start crying. And then there's a rain cloud over her. And rain is coming down like just on her. And the uh, the teenage girl, uh, Annie, is uh, is is kind of yelling at Michael, proud of yourself, Michael, you went and made Heather cry. And, uh, and he consoles her and tries to get her to calm down or maybe aim the rainstorm at the fire. Heather's like, I can't. Oh, that's okay. And he's getting wet there. But anyway, so they, Scuzz says, okay, well, we can all see what the small fry can do. Uh, next, Hubner and uh, Evan calls out the antibody he's taken over with a like a rhyme. Shadow man, shadow man, come out and play. <laughs> um, he seems to have a little more control over it than than Randy over his, or at least um, it's playing along more with him. So he, he even has like some new tricks. He gets inside the shadow man. And so now uh, it's like a costume to him. And he can fly because the Shadow Man can fly. And uh, Scuzz is like, hmm, I thought that was one of the antibodies, but Randy can't do any of that stuff. Uh, Evan often offers everyone a ride, but no one really wants to take him up on it. Um, you notice that, yeah, the new universe is really low on flying. That was a uh, power that very few characters have. Whereas, like, in the Marvel Universe, you either... You know, there were in, every, everyone either flew or they would like carry the uh, the people who didn't. So they out like fifty percent, I guess, would fly. Then you get to things like the Legion of Superheroes, where everyone just has like a technologically advanced rings that can fly everybody. But right. anyway, I digress. Uh, Scuzz asks Annie what her power is, and she's like, "You asked for it, Scuzzer. Scuzzer, is that flirting? <laughs> I don't know." So she stands in uh, uh, like a um, by herself in kind of a tuning fork position. And it starts driving everyone up the wall pretty quickly. And then she, as this sound gets louder, she brings her hands together and claps and sort of throws the sound at uh, the wreck. And it makes a decent like crack, uh, kind of a kinetic force explosion over there. So with the sonic power that sort of can go everywhere and also be directed. That's pretty convenient stuff. 
Um, Scuzz says he hasn't had as bad an earache since he got front row tickets at an ACDC concert. It's yeah. a slightly better power than getting yourself rained on. Yeah, if we were to rank everyone in the DD teens, I think uh, Heather would come in pretty low, and Annie is pretty, I'd say, in the upper level of the pack. I don't know. So Hubner doesn't actually even have a paranormal power. He's just borrowing a antibody. Yeah. Okay. It's <laughs> a question. Yeah. What is is Hubner a power or not? Um. Let's see. The then we get a speech from Scuzz. Okay. Listen here, you meatheads. Y'all know how the blacks formed their own group a couple of weeks back. Well, we're gonna do the same. We're, we're not black, Scuzz. What are you talking about? Ours will be for teens only. Oh, okay. We'll all drop out of the stupid therapy groups they stuck us in and be loyal only to each other. Yeah, Annie? Annie starts uh, complaining, you know, you want us to join the 4-H club or the future farmers of America? I don't want better things to do. Not a club, a gang. A gang that won't be pushed around by anybody just because we're young. I even thought of a name for us. The DD Teens. What's DDT? Uh, it's a thing I heard of. It's been illegal <laughs> in the U.S. since like before you were born, Scuzz. What do you, what do you even know this stuff from? I don't know. Yeah, the, uh, the wise guy, Joel, kind of makes fun of him for that. But uh, Scuzz continues, the first thing we need is nicknames for each other. Joel continues trying to be funny. You mean like an animal house? Otter and Bluto and uh, and that's uh, Evan. I'm having trouble with Evan and Michael already here. It's yeah, two pages of them. They would, like they both have glasses. Come on, man. <laughs> One's got a big nose. <laughs> okay. So uh, Evan's like no secret identity names like the X Men and other superhero comics. He's got a Fantastic Four T-shirt on, by the way. Scuzz says, no, I mean, like the black group did names that describe your paranormal powers. For instance, I'm going to call I'm calling myself the Scorcher. Um, Michael says, I want to call myself Nuke. But Evan uh, argues with him. You can't. There was a Squadron Supreme member called that and a Daredevil villain, too. That's true. Those are in like the last two years in Marvel Comics. So. Yeah, I actually just read that Daredevil comic. <laughs> Born again uh, is a good run. Yeah. The uh, they're like, oh, you didn't say you had to be original. Look, if we ever get famous, you'll wish you had an original name. Otherwise, you'll end up paying someone for it. You know, like Hulk Hogan. Does Hulk Hogan have to pay for the use of the word Hulk? Don't know. <laughs> no. Okay. So, uh, what should I call myself? Says Michael. How about dynamite? But how about Salvo? That's what uh, Robert Hawk yeah. called you. <laughs> Didn't you have another one in there too? I don't know. Somebody... Anyway. He, he left Cyforce and all their names behind, I guess. Okay. Evan says, I'll be Ghost Driver. Um, Joel uh, says he'll play along for now, but you can call me Force Breaker. It's because... <laughs> argues we're calling you mothball either that or mr bubble <laughs> they continue to argue uh joel has uh, suggestions for the uh women 
I got good names for them. No Great Shakes and Crybaby. And Annie's about to uh, vibrate his toes off, but uh, he's demure. Sweet. Suddenly, we have an appearance from Dave Landers. Um, he's like, what are you kids doing outside after dark? Yikes. Huh? How come you don't have any pants on? <laughs> yeah, notably, he doesn't notice the lack of pants. What's <laughs> going on out there? Just stays out there. Okay. Scuzz uh, plays it plays it up a bit. Hey, everybody, I'd like you to meet my big buddy, Mr. Mastodon, Davey Landers. Quick clown and Scuzz, you guys know the roles. Get inside. Then uh, David gives him a bit of a like big brotherly advice. Look, uh, you know, the clinic's rules are for your own protection. World outside doesn't, you know, who knows what they'll do if they find out about the paranormals. And they could lock us up and we'd all, you know, find ourselves in a much less happy position than this nice, comfy clinic. He thinks to himself that he's actually kind of glad that Scuzz is being headstrong because it means the brainwashing is wearing off um, from the old management. And I think as uh, Andy had uh, suggested before, you know, maybe the br- brainwashing was the only thing keeping these people together yeah. in the first place. So now things are breaking down pretty quickly as they all originally original personalities are reasserting themselves um because uh david david says something about you should set a good example for the kids you've been around a little more than them and uh, ouch he gets uh burned by scuzz's acid which scuzz kind of thinks to himself he was doing it on purpose because he uh where does he get off playing like he's big brother to me and uh, Larry's kind of demures when uh, Landers takes off. He thinks to himself as he walks away, bald-headed baboon. He thinks the same old rules apply to us paranormals. Well, they don't. Paranormals make their own rules. Sometimes I feel like DP7 is could also be titled Growth of a Villain. Like we've gone <laughs> from like Scuzz is like an innocent boy. Well, not super innocent, but <clears throat> by the time the... Uh, series ends he'll be like the greatest super villain in the uh, new universe burning a hole to the center of the earth or something one of these paranormals will kill a million people scuzz will try he'll try his best damn it <laughs> anyway um so the others uh catch up with him or at least michael um and uh they, they're gonna head off to meet up with the others again but uh they run into charlie and uh, Scuzz is like, oh, shut up. I want to talk to someone. Hello, Scuzz. Talking to me, Charlie? I thought you big shot Black Powers didn't talk to anyone but yourselves. Michael's like, gosh, she's gorgeous. Charlie is dr- is drawn like better looking in each issue, I swear to God. <laughs> and she's quite the uh, paranormal detective, too, as we found out in Justice. Yeah, she's multi-powered. Um, she asks how the uh, everyone's doing, and uh, he tells her, days of the security guard, Jeff's still in the mess hall. Lenore's been in isolation for a month, so we don't quite get a follow-up from last issue's cliffhanger of uh, with uh, Mr. Ziegler painting her, whatever was going to become <laughs> of that. The question would be, is he also in his isolation with her? <laughs> <laughs> and he says, and Steph's still in a coma. Has Mr. Ziegler been a coma for a month after having all the power drained out of him? We don't know. 
And then she asks about Randy. Does he ever mention me? Which is interesting. She's like um, still kind of interested in Randy after the uh, break. I don't know. Or at least hoping to repair the relationship, maybe. Yeah, after the blow up they had. But um, before we get anywhere with that, um, the other Black Power blind spot appears and drags her away. It's because of the kind of amused that uh, they that she jumps whenever the other Black Powers tell her something. And he says, Charlie's, to Michael, Charlie's a foxy, but a real space case. Come on, let's go map out the gang's next move. And in a panel I really love, Michael thinks to himself, oh boy, he may push me around a bit, but I think Scuzz thinks I'm an okay guy. Reminds me of Wayne, asterisk, another Cyforcer. <laughs> The Scuzz Wayne connection. Yes. They really need to meet each other. That would be fun. <laughs> Let's hope hope for that day. Elsewhere, we have Steffi's, Stephanie's um, hospital room, and Dave Landers comes in and is still unhappy, uh, of course, to see her. But he comes in and sort of gives her the update on the day that... Uh, he caught Scuzz and the other teams fooling around outside. And Lenore hasn't been around for a few weeks. It's thinking that she's like Sleeping Beauty, which I guess she is. Um, I was thinking the other day that like when Landers was coming back, there was also that um, woman who from his previous life whose mother was sick or something. Um she had like just found out she had cancer and he was like hoping he could get Stephanie out of the clinic to help her. Right. Uh, it's now been like four or five months. So we're kind of <laughs> outlook. Not so good. Yeah. Prognosis negative. Anyway. Um, so he's, he thinks uh, he's, he talks about uh, the other DP seven and then um, pulls out a copy of Clint, this. He says he'll uh, read her um, a chapter from Clan of the Cave Bearer, which was a pretty popular book at the time. And a pretty big one. It goes on forever. So <laughs> it's a good one. To, good choice. Good choice. Um, we cut to the floor above where Jeff Walters is flying around uh, corners to go talk to Randy O'Brien and knocking on his door. And uh, we have like one word that contains the Sort of something like, Hi, Randy, why did all you wait? I heard on the 10 o'clock news a minute ago, except all in like a tenth of a second. Huh, Jeff? Jeff continues, There's a gay in Pittsburgh, oh, that say. Whoa, 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 slow down. I can't understand a word of what you're saying. Count to five between each word. Oh, sure. Okay. I was just watching the news and there's a report on this guy in Pittsburgh who's flying around in a costume and doing good deeds. They're making fun of him, not knowing if he's real or not. But you know what this means, don't you? This is the first paranormal to go public. This is great. If one guy can do it, maybe we can all go public someday, says Jeff. And he starts taking off. I got some relatives in Pittsburgh. I'm going to send, call them up and have them send newspaper clippings to me. Got to run. Huh? <laughs> Nothing ominous about that. 
The next morning, Randy is talking to David uh, with Dr. Semple in the cafeteria about this news as well. Landers is saying, I think it's a hoax. No paranormal would be nuts enough to put on a stupid costume. And Randy's saying, well, I could see wanting to disguise yourself while using your pair abilities, but only an exhibitionist would wear tights and leotard. Um, <laughs> you know, I was thinking if you're like one of a group of people who have like these special powers, if a guy actually did like start posing around in a costume and things, and, you know, announcing his special name and everything. You really would kind of like look down on that person as a real, you know, show off or, or, you know, like kind of you're like playing up to people's expectations or something. You know what I mean? Hmm. I can see it being a bit of a uh, drag to the other paranormals. Like, you know, I was hoping once one of us went public, we would have some dignity. <laughs> I guess that was too much to hope for. Though Starbrand is a little bit different. I guess he technically wouldn't necessarily be a paranormal either, right? Because he didn't get his powers from the white event. He got like a mysterious power from an alien old man of some kind. Also true, yeah. Um, He's also way more powerful than any of them. Also true. Um, Also, he started in Chicago. So I don't know why they're saying Pittsburgh, but okay. Moving right along. Good point. Hang tight, dynamite. Here's where I let him have it. Right behind you, scorcher. Um, Scuzz and uh, Michael come in uh, to talk to uh, mostly Dr. Semple. And uh, Scuzz says, Dr. Semple, you know how the blacks dropped out to their therapy groups to form their own group? Well, that's what me and the other teens are going to do. You got a problem with that? We'll find ourselves another therapist. Is uh. You know, and starts heading up. And um, she says, I'll speak to the director. Try to arrange it for you, Dennis. Randy's a little amused. Guess it takes a certain amount of sense to be with your own age group. But Landers says uh, quickly, sees where this is going in the breakdown of social fabric. Next thing you know, blonde-haired, left-handed divorcees will want their own group. I kind of like how Dr. Simple just totally steals his thunder. Like he's going to, he's like, I'm going to go stick it to them. I'm breaking out and doing my own thing. She's like, okay, that's fine. That's a good idea. Sure. For you. <laughs> yeah. Um, Rebel without a cause. That's our boy. Cause we uh, flash across the cafeteria where the black powers, as they just mentioned, um, are harassing the remaining members of the volleyball therapy group that we met a few issues ago, but have still not completely been introduced to. Keep in mind, the Black Powers all have matching uh, jackets, which look pretty cool. There's a It's a black jacket with a yellow fist, uh, out of which lightning bolts are coming. Okay. Black power, black powers. You, you see how it works, right? Okay. Anyway, they're like, hey, that's our table you're resting your behinds at. Take a walk to these three people. And uh, as, as near as I can figure, the um, there's a guy uh, who was wormhole in the um, previous issue, a girl who they called Sally a couple of times now. 
and a, a big guy in a, who's bald in a purple jumpsuit. He, uh, being the biggest, sort of stands up to them. First come, first served. But um, Wormhole um, tells, tells him to stand down. Come on, Kurt, let's go. We don't want any trouble. We were done anyway. And as they walk away, the big guy is saying, one of these days, Marty, they're going to push me too far. And Wormhole's saying, we should wait until our group's back up to full strength. Then we'll take them. Yeah, they're waiting for those two, like, racist guys that got beaten up. <laughs> At least they're racists on their team, though. Yeah, and, you know, they'll be happy to confront the Black Powers. <laughs> so that, I guess, will work out once they're back out of um, therapy or something. And uh, the uh dd teens are saying that it looks like stalagmite chickened out so the big guy's stalagmite because is like oh shame how other people let themselves get bullied then joel the uh, mothball guy is like calls him out a bit and is like oh yeah if you're so hot why don't you uh, go over there i ain't afraid of them prove it once again joel because like gets put put on the spot and he's like Argh. If I back down, the gang may lose respect for me as their leader. He's always like good with uh, dynamics like that, I guess. But he does say yes. Very much go. like prison yard dynamics, though. Prison yard <laughs> dynamics, exactly. That's yeah. It's it's interesting how this has turned into that so quickly. But um, okay, fair enough. He uh, strolls over to the Black Powers and <clears throat> say, Charlie. I want to talk to you. The others pipe up. She don't want to talk to you, Junior. Charlie's, it's okay. You can talk. You got something to say to her. You say it here, says Indigo. And interestingly, Scuzz says, okay, I will. Charlie, I started a group for the teenagers here at the clinic. Seeing as how you're still under 20, I figured I'd ask you if you wanted to join. Charlie's still under 20? Wow. I think she's young, or she's in, yeah, I don't know, college. 19, but, maybe. Yeah. yeah, okay. 18, 19. Um, and uh, the others are laugh um, that uh, they want uh, Charlie to drop out of their group and join his. And she's like, it was sweet of you to ask us, but, but Indigo ain't having it. That big, weird purple fist that uh, looks like a Green Lantern construct grabs, uh, picks up Scuzz and uh, sort of holds him over the table. Sweet nothing, you got a lot of stones to sashay over here with such impertinence. You need to be taught respect. Uh Uh-oh. She's kind of holding him there and squeezing him and yelling at him. Name's Indigo Boy. I'm the leader of the Black Powers. I'm the one who says who comes and goes. You got her to have to impress that upon you further. And Scuzz is thinking to himself, well, I gambled they wouldn't pick on a kid here in front of everybody. He kind of, um, he's, he's like uh, crying, or at least tears are coming out of him because he's in a lot of pain. He's like, I can't breathe. I mean, my ribs are going to break. And uh, one of these tears falls on the table and you know explodes or acid acid burns through his things and indigo is surprised and just lets him uh drop bazooka get this infant out of my sight landers comes over what's going on here 
<laughs> and they say the little dude was disturbing our breakfast. Landers is just a kid for crying out loud. And uh, Black Powers don't step down at all. I don't care if he's Bozo the Chimp, Landers. He messes on our floor. We're going to housebreak him. Um, the other DD teens grab Scuzz and try to shuffle him out. And Dave questions Scuzz, who says, yeah, I started it. And uh, he goes back to the beat Black Powers and tells him, he, look, he's still a minor. It's too much to ask him to uh, expect him to act uh, properly all the time. And you you kids are you folks are uh, adults and uh, ease up on the attitude stuff and leave the kids alone. OK, where do you get off calling us? That? <laughs> Wrong, Pickswick. Pip squeak. I am the law. If I catch you people stepping out of line, I'm going to step all over you. Am I making myself clear? And like maximum Mastodon and uh, intimidation style. So uh, they, uh, he heads off and the DD teens are, uh, have collected scuzz and, uh, Joel makes fun of him again, and but Annie sticks up for him. He's a lot braver than you are. <laughs> and uh, we end with Scuzz saying, tonight we're going to kick some serious butt. Charging <laughs> himself up. Technically, that wasn't Bozo the Chimp. It was Bonzo the Chimp from the movie Bedtime for Bonzo in 1951. Uh, yeah. yeah, popular Reagan uh, movie <laughs> at the time. So uh, I... Uh... A, a reference that was a little more contemporary, I guess. So <laughs> after supper, the DD teens are hanging out in the rec room saying with Scuzz saying, we're going to pay him back for what they did to me. Teach him we're not to be messed with. Power goes to his head pretty fast. And uh, I mean, he's got, as we sort of pan around the room, he's got Evan and Michael who are, like 13, 14 year old boys. Uh, a girl who's probably still not old enough to drive. One that's definitely like would be considered a child. And another boy who is um, weaker than Scuzz, but stronger than Michael or Evan. So, yeah. mm, sure, you want to take on another gang like the first day? Um, well, I mean, if they wanted to kill them, you know, then, you know, the mothball guy could neutralize them and probably could blow a, blow them all up. But yeah, I mean, it's just murderers. sort of like a pecking order thing. Uh, like you said, a uh, prison yard gang. And it's not like we've got to kill everyone in the other group. We just have to show that we're not going to get pushed around by you anymore. So, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Um. But Joel, the wise guys, that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. Just because they made you look like a chump is no reason for the rest of us to go get ourselves beat up. And the girl, Annie, well, I'm with you, Scuzz. My brother taught me how to fight real good. I'm not scared of him. And uh, let's see. Michael's, I'm with you too, Scorcher old pal. <laughs> and Heather, the little girl, I'm going wherever Annie's growing. Uh, you really want to take a little girl into a fight, Scuzz? You sure about this? You can bring the snacks. Um, let's see. Scuzz is like, 
going to be risky. I mean, we haven't had time to work out together, practice maneuvers and stuff. I mean, yeah, that's that's one of the advantages of having a group is not just um, different powers, but like being able to coordinate them. But anyway, uh, Evan says they're adults and we're just kids. And he says that's to our advantage. They won't know enough to go all out against us. Um, Joel isn't going to go. He's like, hey, power's rotted your brain there, Scuzzo. Uh, Scuzz has Ghost Rider send Shadow Man to go look where the black powers are. So he goes out and scouts around. Comes back and says they're all in the third floor lounge. One last uh, attempt. Joel says, now hold on a minute, you jerks. I still ain't going along with this dumb idea. Neither should you. Look, if we all punk out on Scuzz, he won't have the guts to go all by himself. Then we'll not only be saving us the beating of our lives, but him too. And Annie calls him chicken for that. Uh, dang right, I'm chicken. You know, you should be too. Don't you know what those guys can do? They're the ones that put those two security guards in intensive care. They're bigger than us, and their powers are better too. So long, Mothball. Don't expect to tell us how bad we beat him. Us to tell you how bad we beat him. Anyway. So, uh, Scuzz has a little more bravado than sense, but um, they arrive at the third floor rec uh, uh, room, or just outside it, and are sort of peeping in where the Black Powers are listening to a boombox, which we find found out that in, in his interview is a Paul Ryan's real... He hates those things. He hates those things. <laughs> it's funny, though, the... Uh... The, the couple of panels before of all the kids like marching off to fight like reminds me of there's like a, that Seinfeld episode where like Kramer joins the karate school and since he's a beginner he's like put up against like little kids and just wallops them <laughs> uh, I was afraid you were going to have some uh, thing about the child soldiers in Metal Gear 5 or whatever but uh... well at least they gave them AK-47s oh okay <laughs> Um, and he's uh, saying that guess we wouldn't have needed Evan to tell us where they are. They are like loudly listening to what I'm told is uh, a line from um, Rapper's Delight by Sugar Hill Gang. That's what I figured, yeah. But uh, it's like 15 minutes long, so I I didn't like bother double checking that. So anyway, um, Scuzz says we'll get ready and we'll rush in. And he also says that, don't sweat it, Charlie won't fight us. Trust me. Everyone ready? Um, Squirm, I believe, and Charlie are dancing while the others sit around. And, hey, wait a second, Blind Spot is smoking, too. Oh, man. Um, suddenly, Annie's uh, sonic attack hits them all. Um, they are They are disoriented. And the next thing you know, uh, Michael is blowing up the boombox, and the other kids are all rushing in with a lot of scuzzballs, the shadow man, and uh, yelling, DD teens, let's boogie, white punks. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. That is a wonderfully lame uh, like call-out phrase for rushing into battle. DD teens, let's boogie. Yeah, not exactly an Avengers attack or something. 
Um, so Michael is thinking to himself, he doesn't want to blow up anyone and kill them, obviously. And the, I think Chill is saying, JD is going to pay for Ace in my box. Which I can only assume it means JD is short for juvenile delinquent. It's okay. Yeah, I can figure that one out. It's it was like a term um, for like those kind of movies in the '60s or something. So it's weirdly anachronistic if that is what they did. But I don't know. I would '80s. Who knows what they were saying back then? Um. Indigo immediately grabs Scuzz with her big purple hand while Bazooka uh, throws like force blasts out off to the side. Scuzz is like, feelings mute. She says, oh, Indigo says, good to see you again, infant. And Scuzz says, feelings mutual, fatso. It's scorcher time. And he like ignites, which just sets off the sprinklers. Um <laughs> Hmm. Annie is thinking she's trying to direct her vibrations at some of them. And uh, Scuzz is thinking to himself, I was sure I'd be able to scorch through this stupid fist. He is not scorching through the stupid fist. And now Chill is attacking him. Gonna freeze your fool arm off. Uh, Heather is standing off to the side saying, Annie, Annie, what should I do? Um... Michael is being attacked by Squirm. Is kind of a snake person. He's like wrapped around him like Mr. Fantastic. Mm. Yeah, it's a little less fantastic, certainly. But um, Annie is throwing uh, sonic blasts, and uh, Chill maybe is thinking Chicky can't be more than sixteen, which is what I would also expect. Charlie's thinking to herself, why did Scuzz do this? Why? And uh, while the others start are, are duking it out even more, Shadow Man hits Indigo. Um, so now the fist grabs Shadow Man, lets Scuzz go, falls to the floor. But um, Shadow Man takes off and leaves Evan being held by the purple fist. Um Blind spot grabs uh, Annie from behind, and uh, while well, Shadow Man attacks Indigo, Annie does like her whole um, air, you know, uh, area attack. I don't know, in uh, like D and D or something, it is like a point attack and then like an area attack. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, though I, I like that in the foreground of that one, the Shadow Man is strangling Indigo. <laughs> Like that is the murderous antibody, remember? That's true. We could uh, have another uh, one down here with less. Uh, um, what I don't know when the antibodies did it. It could have been any of them. I don't know. Um, Charlie though says, "Stop, everybody!" And she sticks everyone to the floor, and so we have like a dozen people all suddenly like stuck to the. Nope, sliding, sliding first, and now stuck. So, yeah, so it makes them slip, they all fall, and then once they're all on the ground, it sticks them down. Clears the whole room. <laughs> Clear, yeah, area attack successful. Now everyone's going to stay put until you all come to your senses. And Indigo just yells at her more. Girl, you let me up. 
Nope, not until you promise to start stop fighting. You don't let me up this instant. You're out of the black powers. Fiction, I'm not playing with you. Let me up. And uh, that big purple fist is not stuck to the ground, so it grabs uh, Charlie and lifts her up and kind of crushes her. Shadow Man's trying to uh, get her uh, released, but mm, doesn't seem to be working. Just then, um, Joel, wise guy, uh, was entering the room with Dave Landers. It's like, what in the world? Um, they're stuck like everyone else is to the floor, but Joel throws his mothballs around and um, neutralizes the powers of mostly the black powers. Yeah, Indigo, Chill, Squirm, Charlie, and everyone is sort of just left on the ground, uh, whatever. Dave Flanders takes the opportunity to yell at them all. What in blazes is wrong with you people? We're here to help one another, not fight amongst ourselves. I wonder why you have to be locked up away from normal people. Uh, he picks up Scuzz, who looks, as he thinks, blue and frostbitten. You, could, you kids go to your rooms. You others, I want the place swept and fixed up. And have someone meet Randy uh, in the intensive care. So he's taken Scuzz to uh, intensive care because he's both crushed and frozen by that double attack. Joel thinks to himself, what did I miss? And he goes up to Scuzz. See, I didn't chicken up. I, I showed up with reinforcements. Scuzz is not happy. G -g Go climb your thumb. <laughs> your reinforcements <laughs> suck them up. <laughs> uh... And Indigo is yelling at Charlie still. Woman, you made a powerful enemy today. Take off that jacket. You're out of the black powers. <laughs> she takes it off. Charlie yells back. Big fat deal. <laughs> She's storming out with the coat jacket on the ground. Squirm is thinking to himself, Indy's just mad right now. Maybe me and the guys can get her to change her mind when she cools down. And surprisingly, at the in the corner there, we have end. Felt a little abrupt. It did, yeah. Like, I guess they had to make room for the letters page. Uh, so yeah, we have a letters page and a big surprise with that one too. But we'll get to that in a moment. Um, a lot going on in this one, and I finally had a thought for what like the what the situation is although uh prison yard is a good description of it as well and the word that came to me was um lord of the flies it's mm. like they're acting kind of more like you know an isolated you know population that divides up and is starting to push back against each other all over the place and whether that's like just establishing some sort of dominance or just being jerks i don't know but it's like the closest thing i had to a description of this uh scenario yeah oh yeah we are quite close to prison yard where if you're black you gotta go with the black group you're white you're with the white supremacists you know <laughs> you're just missing like the latino gang and obviously there wouldn't normally be a bunch of teenagers and children uh, mixed in the gen general population, but yeah, I don't know. It's because being the white gang or the <laughs> kid gang. I don't know. 
Um, the two guys from before are kind of like the abusive guards, you know. Right. Yeah, the um, situation is getting worse, I would say. Um, as Landers thought, maybe the um, controls, mental blocks or whatever that they'd old uh, Churn and Hackbarth had put into everyone or breaking down, but now they're all um, you know, very touchy and uh, ready to say tinder pile, ready to go off in a moment's notice. Yeah, the solicitation for the next issue of DP7 gives some pretty strong clues that things are headed south. Interesting. Um, and then we'll cover a little bit more from the plans of the creative crew in uh, Marvel Age 59 in a minute here. But so I don't know. Um, for me, this is fine. It's sort of a continuation uh, from the last couple of issues pretty straightforwardly. Um, I mostly am just kind of annoyed at like the lack of a more space at the end you know what i mean mm. um so it's that sort of abrupt ending kind of uh threw me off a bit um good variety i had to cram in like all right what's stephanie up to what's lenore up to a uh, mention of star brand kind of stuff uh yeah there's a lot of stuff going on but um eh, i mean yeah it's like yeah Things feel like they're headed towards a bigger breakdown, I guess, as such as it is. Um, I'm not quite sure how to feel about that, whether it's inevitable or like wonder if there was some way they could have, uh, you know, forged a, a more unity out of the uh, disparate groups that we have at the clinic. Um, I don't know. Yeah, the clinic is a fun setting so far. So, yeah. That's kind of the thing is like once we finally got back there, I was kind of hoping to do more with it than what we've seen so far, which is pretty certainly minimal in terms of like the outside to inside connection, you know, like there's no like local farmers that are all um, always like, can you guys keep it down over there? You know, right. And, uh, I don't know. Which paranormal do you send on the grocery store run? <laughs> Stalagmite, you brought back diet Pepsi. I drink regular Pepsi. Come on! Stalagmite, do his best. Not know why you yell at him. I'm really curious as to what his power is, because I don't think we've seen it. No, I didn't think much beyond like whether he's just, just being a big guy is his power, but it we it hasn't been displayed and i don't i looked over that uh volleyball uh issue recently and i don't really see anything in there that you know yeah. him and sally are both kind of a mystery so and um who's that pamela the like heartbreaker girl she i haven't seen we haven't seen her back at all yet so who knows what happened there right yeah given like all the paranormals we've seen and there's that moment uh a couple issues ago where they said there was 29 uh i think there's like eight unaccounted for them maybe okay I've, I've been keeping a list okay i haven't yeah counted them up again so um we'll, we'll go over that uh later 
uh, good to leave themselves some some room in there. But I would have thought like at least another group. Yeah. Okay. So one more therapy group maybe, and then so two like random groups DP seven, and then the black and the kids groups. So yeah, it's like seven times four is twenty-eight, and you know, plus one here and there. Some there was a mention of we don't even know what that guy is, so there might be like some really, really strange oh. paranormal. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, and then uh, like Michael Crowley showed up later, and Evan Hubner was not a paranormal, and he kind of showed up later. So I think it would make sense. It still kind of works out with the, that. There's four groups that just. None of them are made up of <laughs> uh, their original members, I guess, at this point. Okay. Yeah, I guess. Hmm, if the... the black the black powers must have been divided up between like two other groups that we didn't really know. Like there's the DP7, there's the volleyball team, and then there must have been like two more, which are not really well defined at yeah. this point. That makes sense because I don't remember the black any of the blacks being on the volleyball team. So I guess that I had assumed that we hadn't seen any of them there, which helps because they had the two racists in them. But anyway, right. <laughs> if, um, Maybe the clinic knew that and didn't put any <laughs> black paranormals in with those guys. Um, yeah, whatever. So let's see. Um, I think we'll get more details as uh as the story progresses um, and keep trying to fill them in as best we can. But uh, I don't know. At one, at one point I know uh, they'll get more explicit with like the history of the deep of the new universe and like, you know, have, have more details, even if they weren't shown in the comics. So mm -hmm. just trying to figure it out ahead of time is fun for us. So we'll keep doing that. Um, Scuzz has always been like, like I say, an interesting character. He's um, he's very active, which makes him like a good person to have in a comic book, and because he always wants to do something. Um, but it's he really has his like you know good side and bad side, and it's mostly his bad side that we see. So even when people are trying to be nice to him, he's kind of brushing them off or thinking he'll kind of play them for their for a sucker or something. Um, yeah, he's kind of that like teenage dirtbag kind of guy, and you know, so like people aren't gonna like him because he's just rude and mean and kind of pushy all the time. But he's still just a kid; he doesn't really know any better. So when push comes to shove, and he keeps getting beaten up <laughs> twice in one issue. Then like he kind of crumples up and needs help, and yeah, it's good. So... He needs needs somebody looking after him. It does. Uh, I don't know. It seems, I don't know. I'd hope the other kids were a better influence on him, but in his like needing to be uh, alpha male isn't going to help that. Like I said, if he had like a, yeah, like Landers as his big brother program or something, I don't know. But anyway, um, I don't know. Anything else we can think of for this issue? DP7, once again, a lot of words. A lot going on. Um, I give it about a B plus because of I don't know the 
uh, strange pacing I'm getting out of this, um, but still yeah. very enjoyable. Yeah, it's another good a good two issues for this podcast. Uh, yeah, I would I would I would say a B plus as well. You know, nothing exceptional to kind of stand out. They were kind of uh, chalk in the middle of the race war part of DP seven. So. <laughs> uh yeah it's a uh there was no child molesters in this issue <laughs> ah what's going on uh, okay if, um let's see the um universe news we'd already covered most of that right yeah so the other um interesting thing we had this month was a male uh page and the new universe did not stick to their guns by like saying that all letter columns would only be letters to dp7 they named it paranormal and made fun of the people who uh, wrote in with that name but didn't bother to assign their um letter to them so they have like a uh, anonymous tip three of them three people sent in the name and um take a bow you first two one of whom forgot to put his address on the letter and another person who sent us a sketch of it and neglected to put his or her name or address on the thing anyway paranormal it is <laughs> anything grab you out of this not a ton. It's just it's kind of like classic comic book mail letters page, you know, questions about what's going to happen or who's more powerful or these sorts of things. Uh, yeah, the various powers, the what happened when this thing um foreshadowing about Randy's antibodies, which they said only one person wrote in saying asking if there was more than one antibody. Because that uh, hand that came out of his back at one point. Yeah, I didn't think that was like a sneaky thing. I thought that was pretty blatant. Like, you know, it wasn't like hidden on the panel or like something that you didn't notice. I think everybody noticed it. and But that, that made it less. You didn't, didn't really need to point it out like, oh, oh, my gosh. Right, right. At least that's what I was thinking. But Yeah, they say there is indeed a new universe graphic novel in the works that will be on the stands by Christmas. Written by John Byrne and Mark Gruenwald, drawn by Saul Buscema and Stan Drake. It's going to blow the lid off the new universe itself. <laughs> of course, we all kind of like know what that is. It's just, you know, for the sake of the chronological read through, you know, at this point, if this is the, the your entry to the new universe, then, you know, it's still kind of a surprise. It hasn't really been announced because, you know, something has to happen in the book first. <laughs> So let's see. I did like they talk a little about the like paranormality. Is it um, versus mutation and the genetic structures and what is that? And and they, I think we chatted before at some point. Until some paranormal has a kid, we don't know how you know their powers would affect their kids. So. Uh, or if it's passed on, or if paranormals having kids with other paranormals versus having 
not. Yeah, I mean, it's totally muddied by these last two issues too. Like Cy Forest, they were giving like scientific explanations, so like some sort of gene mutations were causing the abilities, and then Justice has the ability to see paranormalities, and like you know, this kid is going to develop it kind of thing. So you know, whether or not she was hit by the white event or not, we don't really know. <laughs> and uh, this uh, guy finishes with the question and finally is tracy speck the receptor going to be leaving the clinic and or help our displaced paranormals and the answer being tracy speck indeed left the clinic in a pine box and was buried oops <laughs> uh, still unsure how they how the clinic managed to cover up two people dying that worked there <laughs> Don't buy, be so naive. I work next to a hospital. Who knows how many dead people die there? Come on. They got their own incinerator for crying out loud. Oof. Oh, <laughs> so much for the pine box then. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you just have like a little potter's field but in that field where uh, Scuzz and the kids were oh, playing. <laughs> All the deads. <laughs> yeah, don't go digging around out there. There's a teeny bit of foreshadowing at the end, like the last editor's comment, you know, uh, somebody asked about like the limitations of the antibodies and such. And uh, it says next issue. In fact, one of the antibodies is going to exhibit an attribute. We think you're going to appreciate which one we're not saying. So hmm. I'm quite sure what to expect with that. Um, let's take a quick look at Marvel age number 59, which is a, uh, has a cover which also came out February. So it usually hit the stand with justice. Um, so, um, and DP seven at this point. And, uh, the cover is the new universe, except we have justice front and center in his new costume. We've got, uh, DP seven, more or less. Uh, Missing Charlie and Stephanie. Oh, yeah. But Scuzz is definitely in Scorcher mode. We've got um, Cyforce with uh, Thomas instead of Michael. And no Cyhawk. No Cyhawk, no uh, Stasi. She's not on the picture. Oh, right. And uh, we've got um, Starbrand in his new Debbie the Duck created costume. And oh, in and the a back, giant mushroom cloud. <laughs> giant mushroom cloud. <laughs> That's ah. it. Are you ready for the new, new universe? Mm. Not really. <laughs> I'm a little concerned now. There's a uh, bit by uh, Fred Hembeck in the middle, but we have a, a page 19. Oh, there's also a trivia quiz on page 18. Page 19, we start a four or five page um, article with interviews with the new creators and the new editorial of the new universe. And they drop a lot of info and various hints about what's coming up. So not to get too uh, specific with some of them, um, but the... Uh, you know, it's fair game at this point that the in the read through that this is the stuff that has um, now available to us, and they start talking about um, 
their general approach, which is that they're going to be uh, revamping the books. As he says, they felt they deviated from the original concept of the new universe. They seem to be getting actually further away from the original concept, but, but okay. Yeah, I don't uh, really get that part because, you know, really, <laughs> I thought they, they kept pretty tight to the original concept. Um, he says they're going to find out what happened in the, explain the white event and what caused it, and that'll happen in Starbrand. And um, Justice, we're explaining, re-explaining his origin. It's not quite what you've seen. Cyforce gets a new creative team, and we're going to learn more about the kids and leave San Francisco. They'll split up for a while, and they'll be on the run. DP7 is getting more exciting and action-packed. And I can't help but think that's part of this like prison yard scenario, is that even though you're kind of in one location, you they sort of upped the friction amongst the paranormals as part of this like we need this to be more exciting and have more um overt conflict going on so i mean dp7 did not have a lot of like paranormal on paranormal you know fights for a long time we're making up for that now though (laughs) we do seem to um what have we got Starbrand's still the flagship title, and um, a lot of the events occurring are going to be quite big. A major city is going to be destroyed, and what we hope to do in the real within the real world theory is explore all the long term ramifications of this disaster. Um, if you destroy a major city in the U.S., it pretty much infects the entire world. Okay, and that's going to be the bookshelf format. Um, graphic novel they're tentatively calling it the pit um and then as they say which um star brand they talk a little bit of uh john burns um plans that it's going to center more on the brand than ken connell himself yeah, and it says the reason we are introducing the the in front is to emphasize the fact that Kenneth Connell is now becoming defocused as the central character. Ooh. Don't throw away the Ken. It's going to be the star brand itself, which will be the central character. Worked out really well in Merc. We, uh, yeah, he emphasizing the Merc at the heart of the book. Ken Connell will go and give some serious backup to uh, Lincoln Griffin in his quest Uh, to take three to four Afghan soldiers and defeat the Russians in Moscow. What's crazy than it sounds now that I think about it. Um, More about the, the white event explanation that's coming up in issue 12. Stuff with Debbie who's coming and this huge disaster that they can sort of see on the horizon. And I like that they're still being very cagey. The destruction of uh, City X, we'll call it, will cause worldwide. (laughs) That was still a mystery. (laughs) Um, DP7. um, The thing about DP7 more than any other team book is there isn't a status quo plot wise. It's just about coping with the uncopable. 
having superpowers. So they're going to have uh, they're going to have some uh, interaction with this uh, great disaster, I guess. So we'll see where that goes. Anything else in there? Uh, they mentioned Spitfire. Oh yeah, and the three paranormals from Starbrand number four. That'll be cool. Yeah. So TP7 is kind of staying the course, I think, for the most part, except yeah, everything's going to be impacted by the pit. Um, but it is kind of nice to see some of those characters come back. Sure, sure. Whether they mean the Max Armor <laughs> or Jenny herself. We'll find they out. They did not say the troubleshooters, so yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> um there would be the ultimate <laughs> end is like uh, Cambridge gets blown up and finishes off the rest of the troubleshooters. No great loss. I mean um uh, I I meant you know Cambridge, not the troubleshooters, who I actually like, but anyway. Do we get any downloads in Cambridge? Never mind. Probably, I mean. <laughs> uh, okay, well, let's hope not. Maybe, but... maybe you'll be the one to get our first hate mail. Justice, they, uh, they have a quick that uh, it has a shout out that uh, Claire Burnett was coming back from Merck, or he was bringing her in. Yeah, pretty much the Justice news already happened. Like we've already seen that in in fifteen and sixteen, like big change to the character yeah so that's already a huge thing and it's um you know they're going with this new status quo for him and they talk about how the um after the destruction destruction of a city uh, another city will be evacuated and uh, be sort of a hodgepodge of survivalists and a haven for paranormals and justice is going to be part of that mm. so see where that goes is that genosha or something <laughs> i mean no nothing like x-men <laughs> no nothing like that e is for extinction is coming pretty soon <laughs> um cyforce uh as they mentioned things are going to be splitting up and um so taking it on the run maybe oh he mentions the scientific backgrounds uh explanations for things that they did in 16 yeah we already got that in the troublemaker and imprint two new paranormals maybe maybe troublemaker will be a a uh, troubleshooter based paranormal that's looking to take revenge for uh the death of Eddie Giotti? what are you doing here <laughs> no more no more strong arms i am the strong arms now Come on, I'd love that. So would you. It would be. Yeah, but if we're having a second white event, that could make a second batch of paranormals. Maybe yeah. like he's thinking about the strong arms <laughs> at the time that he gets hit by the flash. And... Or just working out with them. That would have been great. <laughs> um, so we do have like more hints of things that they'd uh, he'd just sort of thrown out as uh, words at the end of the last issue. But um, sort of a new like conspiracy or something to to work against with more paranormals, and they say a ton of villains and supporting casts will join. So stuff to look forward to there. Um, Nicieza has a lot of ambitious plans, honestly. Um, and here, let's shoot. 
And the last item is the uh, this upcoming graphic novel, The Pit. And they say that uh, part of the issue is there's going to be this big event in Starbrand. And Starbrand's bi-monthly, so you're not going to see anything there for two months. And even the other books that come out are going to be two or th- two weeks later. Um, I think this has two months or something. Um, anyway, they wanted to have something that would hit the stand faster and cover the immediate aftermath of this event. So that's what we got in mind. Grunwald and um, Byrne and Elliot Brown are uh, concocting this up and they'll show a lot of serious uh, events happening, I guess. Real stuff the world hasn't seen since Sodom and Gomorrah. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Don't you kind of feel like we just started? I mean, obviously we're reading this over 30 years later, but like, like really not that much has happened in the new universe we're, before we're already getting to blowing everything up that's yeah i mean yeah i understand wanting to move from like where we were at the at the end of 12 um to like paranormals are are you know more open i i could see that as the plan for year two you know what i mean yeah, I, I guess maybe we're still kind of in the, the comics world of, okay, new universe isn't going great. We canceled some books. What are we going to do? Let's do something big, right? Like, rather than let's make sure we tell good stories. And yeah. hopefully we'll get some combination of that because I think we have at least hit the period of creative team stability, but. I mean, yeah, we've got creative team stability. And honestly, what we've seen from these guys is pretty strong. I mean, so it's not like, um, you know, two good teams and then two teams that like, oh, this guy again. <laughs> Three good teams and then star brand. I mean, the star brand. <laughs> but, you know, the team is. You know, OK, probably but... the biggest name of the group, but yeah. But it's the attitude that you bring to the the project that anyway, the um, it's it's yeah, it feels rushed like us even reinventing justice like like, uh, you know, hurry, hurry, change him up. Hurry, hurry. Oh, now there's a huge disaster. Hurry, hurry. OK, I don't know. Um, And there, there's a thing about sort of going too big that. We'll see how it goes, but, um, you know, from what we've seen of real world disasters, you don't have to, like, take a 50 mile divot out of the world to uh, impress people. Right. Not at all. So anyway, um, we'll see where we go. Um, the, the, The pit is coming, coming quickly, I'm afraid, by our schedule. And um, that's a good uh, introduction to all this point of the new universe there in Marvel Age 59. I'm sure we will, everyone will be just as excited as we are that in the pit, our world's favorite Microsoft salesman, The Witness, is coming back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. oh. 
I don't. Yeah, I don't remember much about it, so I don't remember if he's as annoying as he was in the annual. But <laughs> I imagine there's going to be a lot of woe is me because he can't talk to anybody <laughs> except for maybe uh, an antibody and perhaps uh, Tyrone from Cyforce, but we don't know. We'll call ourselves Ghost Force. Come on, guys, it'll be great. Mm, later for that dude it's like i gotta get back into my body so i don't get to see this guy anymore <laughs> he's really bothering me oh okay well that is it for this week's episode with a little extra of uh marvel age thrown in for good measure next time we'll change things up a little because of all these exciting events coming up and the pacing we wanted to cover the books in so for next week we'll have uh, it next week's titles Sci Force 17 and Justice 17. This scheduling will help us pay uh, pace out the next couple of months as we um, get ready for these big events. Yeah, so Sci Force 17, we've talked about this just a bit, but uh, the solicitation for the next issue is Meet the New Universe's Newest Paranormals, Troublemaker, and Imprint. Right, key issue, first appearance of imprint uh they're not nice guys and they're after cyforce as they gather the information they need to destroy cyforce uh you'll need to get it you'll get an inside look at the mysterious siberian project learn the secret to the mystery of rods and discover the identity of the medusa network and read the longest solicitation for any comic ever uh and if that weren't enough the Sanctuary's director, Colby Shaw, finally blows up. <laughs> okay, it really blows up? Crawley's gone. Uh, Beg Tomorrow, written by Fabian Nicieza and penciled by Ron Lim. All right, this better be like, we finally get the floor plan of the Sanctuary. Feels like they need like a double double size issue to cover all that. I mean, right. Or like the, like, the heck four page fold out like bat cave thing that Jim Lee did a while back. Like those have that for the sanctuary. And uh, I get to take it easy with the solicit for justice 17. Learn about justice, the man he is and the man he was get a rare glimpse into the past of a justice warrior courtesy of Peter David and penciler Lee weeks. Yeah. That's like nothing. (laughs) It's just like, oh, yeah, this book is called Justice. Let's talk about justice. The concept? No, the guy. Oh. Okay. I thought Justice so, Warrior was real. <laughs> until you... The Justice Bros are... Yeah. There's no past. They're, they're imaginary now. That's sad. Um, so until we get there, you can catch us on our website, kickersinc.com. You can email us at newuniversepodcast at gmail.com. And yeah, that's my part to start talking. <laughs> oh, you yes. me. I'm just, I, I'm sitting here just feeling sad that there's no justice bros. Like I'm, I'm having trouble letting go of the justice bros. <laughs> Well, uh, we'll uh, add them to my imaginary super team, which includes the deceased Steve Magnaconti, who has not been retconned. (laughs) It's a uh, there's plenty of them to go around. I'm sure there were actual people who were caught up in the dream. Maybe. 
some 80s bros that got turned into justice bros anyway this has been the voice of the new universe we'll see you back at the spinner rack don't throw away the duck it's your universe idiot nuke me with the new